0: Well, Hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you are joining us. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church that is located down in the southern part of Chesapeake, Virginia. And I want you to know I love living in the Hampton Roads area. I am not originally from this area, and most people that are listening to me, uh, you're not from this area either. But we have been transplanted here. Many of us here because of uh, Uncle Sam brought us here. My wife and I moved here back in 1997 with the purpose of starting a church. And we knew when we came to the Chesapeake area that there's a lot of good churches in Chesapeake. And so we decided that our main emphasis would be on reaching the lost, reaching those who don't know Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to share the gospel wherever we go and to be able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, as I look at the Bible, I think there's five primary purposes of the church and five reasons that a church should exist and so we've tried to build our church around these five reasons of our existence. And I think number 1 is that we want to make disciples of all men. We are carrying out that great commission where Jesus said go out and make disciples, right? Go out there preaching the gospel, not only seeing people get saved. That's the first step of discipleship, but making them followers of Christ, make them students of God's word. So we want to make disciples of those who are believers in Christ. And then also we wanted to be involved in fellowship. The church is all about brothers and sisters coming together and fellowshipping. You know, fellowship is something that can only really happen with two believers. A believer and a non-believer doesn't have anything in common. What fellowship do we have with those who are not believers? Now, listen, if you're fellowshipping with unbelievers, you're going down the wrong direction. Now, we can be friends with unbelievers. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he didn't fellowship with unbelievers. So we believe that we need to get together often in fellowship. And we do that through small groups that meet throughout our community, throughout the week. And so we're big on fellowship. That is encouraging one another. And then the church is also about worship. We gather for corporate worship on Sunday. But you know, if you're not worshiping throughout the week, it's very doubtful that you're really worshiping on Sunday. You may be showing up at church on Sunday, but if you're not worshiping God throughout the week, I mean, there's really not a whole lot for you to do on Sunday. So Sunday is just a time where we gather together as a corporate body of Christ, and we gather together with the purpose of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I say, there is one hero at Hickory Ridge Community Church, and it's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not the elders. It's not the worship team. It's not all those who come and serve every week. It's not even those who give. The hero of our church is Jesus Christ. He is the one that we worship every single Sunday. Well, you know, we also gather for the purpose of not only discipleship and fellowship and worship, but we also have in the back of our minds the purpose of evangelism sharing the gospel wherever we go, telling everybody the good news. Listen, somebody told you one day about the gospel, and because of that, you are born again. Paul says, how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher? Jesus said the same thing. And how are they going to know if we don't tell them? We have got to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Share it wherever you go. And there's one last thing that a church does. And that that is we minister to people. We serve one another. We serve the community as we are serving Christ. You know, many years ago, somebody challenged me with this question. And the question was, what would happen if your church closed its doors? Would the community miss you? Would the community even know that you're no longer there? Listen, when we're involved with the community, we have a presence within the community. We are serving the community. Here, our motto is, where Virginia and North Carolina meet God. Several years ago, I was getting a lot of phone calls. And the phone calls were going something like this. Hey, we live in the community here. We live in Moyoc. We live in Chesapeake. We live in Hickory. And uh, does your church have a daycare? Does your church have a school? And finally, after getting all these calls, I said, you know, maybe, just maybe, this is God's way of getting our attention, that there's a need in our community, and the community is looking to the church to provide for that need. And so we started a daycare. We started a school, and we go from birth, six weeks, up to kindergarten, and we have a wonderful program, and I would like to advertise and invite you to enroll your kids in our summer program, but I can't because we're already full. We were full at the beginning of this year our summer program. So we're in the process of building another building so there'd be more room. And I say all this to say, well, well, maybe you want to be part of this vision. Maybe you want to be part of working with the Hickory Ridge Academy or our early learning center. Listen, we are always looking for good people. As a matter of fact, right now, our church, our daycare could hire 12 people. And we need people that love the Lord, love the kids, and want to be involved in their lives spiritually. We're not just looking for warm bodies to fill these slots. Uh, we're looking for people who are passionate about loving these kids and passionate about sharing Christ with these kids. And so, if you're interested in a possible position working with us, would you give me a call? You can call me or text me on my cell phone, or you can call the church directly. The church number is seven five seven. 421 7500, Hickory Ridge Community Church, 757 421 7500. Or you can shoot me a text at 252 267 2365. I'll put you in touch with our director for the Early Learning Center, or you can talk to my wife. She's the director of the school. And we would love to talk to you about having an opportunity to be with us on our team, okay? Well, let's get to the subject at hand today Lessons from the Life of Gideon. Now, there is something very special about Gideon. Gideon learned, and we're going back over yesterday's broadcast, that God values quality more than quantity. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't value quantity, but God had Gideon take an army of 32,000 men and said, anybody wants to go home, go home. I mean, you guys have been recruited, and as a result of that, maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you're afraid to be in the battle. Maybe you can't be in the battle because you have things going on at home, and maybe you're needed more at home than you are needed here in the battlefield. If you just want to be here, just go home. Well, the army goes from 32,000 down to 10,000. Well, God says, you know what? This is still too big. So God says, Gideon, take these guys down by the edge of the river. Tell them to get a drink. And everybody who laps that water like a dog does— they're not qualified, but anybody who takes the water and lifts it up by the hand into their mouth, takes a drink, those are my fighting men. Well, 9,700 of them are disqualified, leaving getting with 300 men. Unbelievable. I mean, the odds before this happened, uh, the odds were 4-1 to one with an army of 32,000 going against the Midianites. Now, all of a sudden, the odds are astronomically against Israel. They have a 99% chance of losing this battle because they are outnumbered 99 to 1. But what does Gideon do? He goes to war. God brings him victory, not in the conventional way. God gives him victory. And you can read the story in Judges chapter 7, how they lifted up their trumpets, Before that, they gave a loud shout and they began to break their jars. And all of a sudden, the Midianites, they're in confusion, right? And they start going against each other and killing one another. And God brings them victory, all because God wants us to know that He's more interested in quality than quantity. Then we learned, secondly, in our lesson from yesterday, that God is more interested in us understanding that false humility is just as destructive as pride. And we see that although Gideon was given his wonderful victory and he appeared to be humble about it. I mean, he refuses to be king. They want to make him king because of the battle that he just won. And they come around and says, Gideon, you're awesome. We, we want you to be king. And we want your son and your grandsons uh, to take over the throne. And, and we want this to be a perpetual thing that you will rule over us and future generations will rule over us and and your name will be great and, and you will be the one that will be leading our people but Gideon refuses but we discover it was really a a false humility you know i think Gideon knew something about himself he knew that he wasn't the powerful leader that his people thought he was he, he knew that and And I think if he became king, it would have it would been disastrous for him because his true colors would have come out. Because Gideon was given victory not because Gideon was so great, but because God was so great. Gideon was reluctant. I mean, when God called him, he was he was thrashing wheat down in a little valley where nobody knew he was down there. He was actually hiding from the enemy. That's how fearful he was. Gideon knew that about himself. Gideon knew that he was not. A naturally courageous person. He was more of the silent, cowardly type. If he was to become king, it would have been disastrous. And so Gideon has false humility and he says, Well, I tell you what, you just bring me all the earrings that we captured from the enemies and, and bring all the pendants and put them here in front of me. And Gideon takes the gold and he makes it into an ephod and they begin to worship this ephod. And it says that it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So, when we look at humility, humility is this quality of being free from arrogance and pride. It's having an accurate estimate of one's worth. You see, false humility is twisted into a form of pride. So, when we look at what happens when we get to this point, when we are exhibiting false humility, we will actually rationalize sin or choose less sinful behavior, but it's still sin. And I get this from Ephesians chapter 4. You know, rationalizing sin or choosing less sinful behavior, is still sin. You know, the rationalist is one who depends upon his own reason or his own thoughts. Look at how Paul addresses this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Paul points out that as followers of Christ, we no longer rationalize sin. We used to live like the Gentiles. We used to be blind to sin because we were walking in darkness. We used to be ignorant of the sins that we were committed to a certain degree because there was no truth living within us. But now that truth is in us, we are no longer ignorant of our sins. Now that we are no longer blind, we have our eyes opened to the reality of sin. When we are demonstrating false humility, not only do we live in a life that is rationalizing sin— but we're also living a life that is refusing to speak up in the face of evil. You know that ephod that Gideon had made? It was a richly embroidered, kind of like an April-like vestment. Had two shoulder straps over the top of it. It had ornamental attachments for securing the breastplate. It was worn as a waistband by the high priest. Now, Gideon had an opportunity to glorify God for this great success that the Lord gave him. Now, he did this verbally by praising the Lord, but his actions reveal something different. You see, he told the people, you have one king, Lord Jehovah. I'm not going to be your king, but I'll take your gold rings, and I'll take the earrings, and I'll, I'll make an idol out of it, You see, wealth and power are two deadly sins of anyone who climbs the ladder of success. The world is darkened in their understanding, and their hearts are hardened toward the gospel because of the deceitfulness of riches. You see, your heart actually gets hardened. We discover that Gideon was not speaking up in the face of evil. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says, Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he weigh the heart and perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what he has done? Here Solomon is driving home a very important point when we see somebody going the way of death, the wages of sin is death. I mean, they're staggering toward death, and we do nothing about it, we are held liable. Gideon has this wonderful opportunity to step in and not only refuse to be king, but refuse to step into a position of a high priest. Wealth and power had gone to his head. He says, I'm not going to be the king but I'm going to have you worship this ephod, representing the fact that I could be the equivalent of your priest. You see, Gideon was way out of line. And the people's heart was bent on evil. And because he was so caught up in the wealth and power, he could not even get himself out. His heart became hardened. You see, Gideon was dealing with people who were prone to stray and prone to have hearts that, we're hardened. And so he allows them to go in the wrong direction. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Gideon because we all have this tendency to go astray. But I'm praying as a result of knowing how this process works, that we will be intentional about softening people's hearts toward the gospel, not just throwing up our hands and say, well, they made their bed, now they've got a lie in it. You know, whenever you get together with your family, especially your lost family, has it ever occurred to you that this is a wonderful opportunity for you to share the love of Christ with them in a kind and a compassionate way? Well, I've got one final point that we've got to learn from Gideon. Gideon learned that God values quality more than quantity. Gideon learned that false humility is just as destructive as genuine pride, And then Gideon learned that you should always live a value system that glorifies God. Let's look at Judges chapter 8. And we pick it up at verse number 30 and 31 and following. It says that he had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. Gideon had 70 sons, and he had many wives. Verse 31 says, his concubine, who lived in Shechem, also born him a son, and his name was Abimelech. Now, that's an important name. Remember that name, of Abimelech. We'll come back to in just a minute. Gideon's son, Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash of Orpha. And no sooner had Gideon died, than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up baal as their god and did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hands of of all their enemies on every side they also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Drubbal that is the name they gave Gideon in spite of all the good things he had done for them now here's my point pride leads to destruction we must live a life of values that glorifies God especially in marriage you know, godly marriages produce long-lasting loyalty. One of the reasons that Gideon lost his validity, long-term validity, is because he had many wives. He had a concubine. And that concubine was not a woman of Jewish descent. Now, it was wrong regardless of her descent because Gideon was living in an adulterous relationship. But we discover that from this Relationship with this shechem, a whole new group of people called the Abimelechs had been formulated, all because Gideon was living in sin. So godly marriages produce long-lasting loyalty. They quickly forgot what Gideon taught because his message didn't match his lifestyle. Loyalty to God is displayed through our loyalty to our spouses. Listen, if a wife can't trust her husband. And children can't trust their parents. It's no wonder they struggle to trust God. I will trust God, they will say, when dad does what he's supposed to do. You see, Gideon lived like the world when it came to his marriage. This little phrase is part of the story of Gideon that you probably didn't notice. It's just one short little verse, but it sets the tone for how Gideon's future Is going to end. Here it is. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubine, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son named Abimelech. There it is, Judges chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. You know, when we think about how God wants to move, forsaking God causes us to forsake God's goodness. Did you know that on a flame of a fire, it doesn't cast a shadow? If you get a match, hold it up and put a flashlight on it. Now, the stick of the match will cast a shadow, but the flame will not. You know, the Bible says that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. In what area of your life have you sacrificed quantity for quality? In what area of your life are you professing false humility? In what area of your life are you lacking a character that glorifies God? You see, persistence leads to a victorious life. The Bible has a lot to tell us about persistence including reasons to remain persistent, including that motivation to remain persistent. So in the closing moments of our time together, I want to give you six reasons or six ways that we can learn persistence. Number one, we learn persistence through godly teachers. And because of time, I'm just going to give you the reference of where this comes from. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we learn persistence through godly teachers. And we learn from this passage that maturity and unity in faith is developed as you listen to godly teachers. This maturity and this unity provides a foundation for persistence that will keep you able to hold on to the truth in love as you become more like Christ. A second way that we learn persistence. Persistence is developed through a connection with Jesus Christ. John 15, 4-8. Apart from Jesus, you won't bear fruit. Keeping connected to Him, keeping connected to His Word develops your confidence in Him to supply all of your needs. There's a third way that we develop persistence. It is found through prayer. Praying develops persistence. Learning to make prayer that habit would develop a consistent dependence upon Christ. Ephesians 6.18, talking about putting on the armor of God and above all, praying, right? So consistency in this matter of prayer provides the basis that we need in order to be consistent in all areas of our lives. Number four, if you're going to be persistent, you got to have a plan to keep moving ahead. You know, my wife and I, when we got married, I had a plan. I'm going to stick with her till death do us part. If she runs away, I'm running away with her. My plan was to be with her till death do us part. When it comes to persistence, have a plan to follow that takes away the emotional factors, right? Because when you make a plan, you say, I'm going to stick with this plan regardless of how I feel and this is not gonna be based on emotions, right? I'm gonna move forward in maintaining this persistence even when I feel weak and tired. I mean, after all, that's when you need it, right? I don't need persistence when I'm full of energy. I need persistence when I'm weak and when I'm tired and I'm run down. The reference for that is Hebrews 12.12. 12. I've got another, number five. Know your convictions before you need them. When struggles come, your beliefs are going to be put to the test. Your convictions are going to be put to the test. Know what you believe before the pressure comes along. That's 2 Timothy 112. And then number six, keep doing good. Persistence is habit forming. Persistence is something that is like a muscle that develops the more we use it. Well, doing good sometimes seems fruitless. And it sometimes feels like you're going nowhere Don't lose sight of the fact that God blesses those who persist in doing good. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. You see, persistence pays off. Lord, I need this breakthrough. Hang in there. You see, too many people quit on Monday when God was ready to bless them on Tuesday. So hang in there. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast today.